0: The Bible reading for today is Daniel chapter 4, verses 19 to 37. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, If only the dream applied to your enemies, and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, Your Majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the trump of the tree with its roots remains. Sorry, means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules therefore your majesty be pleased to accept my advice renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed it may be that then your prosperity will continue all this happened to king nebuchadnezzar 12 months later As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar your royal authority has been taken from you you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals you will eat grass like the ox seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes immediately what had been said about nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand, or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble
1: good morning everyone it's good to be here for the last time for a little while at least and it's been a delight to have been here for these four weeks to minister god's word to you and meet quite a number of you as well it's been really delightful time Thank you for having me. Well, let's, uh, and thank you, Andrew, for reading that so well. Uh, Let's pray first and ask God to help us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth and light and life. By it we are saved and we learn to know who you are and what you've done and how we can Love you and enjoy you. Help us today, Lord, to listen carefully to your word and to grow by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking at the story of Daniel, um, and uh, as God, God's word often does, it takes us behind the scenes, and in this case, to the clash of two kingdoms. We live in a world that has two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and its city, Jerusalem, And the kingdom of the world and its city, Babylon. And Augustine, in his classic book, City of God, talks about these two cities and the two alternative societies that they produce. This is how he puts it in book 14, chapter 28. The two cities have been formed by two loves the earthly, by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, the heavenly, by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The former glories in itself, the latter in the Lord. For the one seeks the glory from man, but the greatest glory of the other is God. The one lifts up its head in its own glory. The other says to its God, you are my glory. Jerusalem, of course, is God's city. That's where Daniel's heart is. That's where he belongs. It's formed by the love of God, even to the contempt of self, seeking God's glory. And Babylon is, of course, where Nebuchadnezzar is and lives. It's formed by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, seeking its own glory. And Nebuchadnezzar sees the city and he says in verse 30, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built? as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty." That's the society we live in, isn't it, really? A city formed by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, seeking its own glory. But as Christians, we are citizens of a heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, whose architect and builder is God. And in the book of Revelation, of course, we see the conflict between Babylon, the city of the world formed by the love of self, and Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven formed by the love of God. And Revelation is describing the age in which we're actually living and how it will be resolved when Jesus finally returns again. In Daniel's day, Jerusalem was destroyed and God's people were taken into captivity in Babylon. God's people were marginalised at that time, swallowed up in a great pagan empire. And likewise today, as God's people, we can often feel that that, that we're marginalised as well, and we are, outnumbered in a pagan culture and society that celebrates self-love and self-glory. And what happens in this story is absolutely remarkable. It sort of beggars belief a little. It's there in the opening verses, because here we have... The testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And it's written down in a state document, in a decree that's sent to the whole empire. Look at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Here is a man who's actually found God and he wants the world to know. This man who conquered the people of every nation says, God has just conquered me. How did it happen? How did he come to believe in the living God? Well, it's all here in this amazing testimony. And that's what chapter 4 of Daniel is all about. Let's have a look at it. Firstly, look at this man, Nebuchadnezzar. He's a powerful man, isn't he? He's an intelligent man. He's quite an emotional man, and we've seen that already. And he's a very proud man. And God has been dealing with this man for 20 years. We see that back in the early chapters. But he's been quite resistant, hasn't he, to the call of God. Chapter 1 tells us about the first time he hears about Israel's God through Daniel and his friends, the young men of Israel selected in the training program. And at the final exam, he sees something special in them. He sees something of the invisible God that they worship compared to the lifeless idols that he worships. And he declares, these men are 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in my whole kingdom. It's the first time he's been confronted through Daniel's testimony with his God with the living God but he resists of course and then some years later in chapter 2 God speaks to him in a dream about this golden statue we saw that a while back with feet of clay and only Daniel the spokesman of the living God can interpret it and and he tells the king your kingdom will collapse and will be replaced by other kingdoms and ultimately by the kingdom of God which will endure forever Now, Nebuchadnezzar is impressed at this point by Daniel's God, and this time he even makes a little bit of a confession. It's not his God, but he says, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings? See, see, God is dealing with this man, Nebuchadnezzar, speaking to him. But he's quite a proud man, and in chapter 3 he rejects God's word, and we saw that last week. And in defiance he sets up this golden statue, completely golden, not with feet of clay, but now totally gold, calling on the whole empire to worship it, on pain of death by fire. But God breaks in again and shows him His power, and He saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from that fiery furnace. <coughs> Excuse me, and Nebuchadnezzar is again forced to face the reality. And this time he praises God to the whole empire. No other God, he says, can save in this way. No other God. But that pride is his downfall and he's driven by self-love and full of his own achievements. He revels in his own glory. Verse 4 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was enjoying a time of peace and prosperity. What do kings do in times like these? Well, they build their cities and their infrastructure, and that's just what Nebuchadnezzar did. And history tells us that Babylon was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's a beautiful city. Obviously, the king thought so too. Verse 30 As the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? What did he see? He saw all the things that he'd built the magnificent processional avenue paved with limestone, lined with stone lions, beautiful hanging gardens and and waterfalls, 27 kilometres of double wall protecting the city, the great ziggurat and impressive temples. This is the Babylon that I built, says Nebuchadnezzar. But the truth is that behind all these achievements... Behind all human achievements is the gift of God. Do you know that? It's all a gift from God. What have you got? What have any of us got? What have I got that we haven't received? Do you know? Incidentally, social media seems to have given us a a platform to boast, doesn't it, so often? Look at my new car, look at my holiday my new relationship, my kids' reports, my achievements, what I'm eating, my new hairdo, uh, clothes, pout. It's just glorying in things, isn't it? In in what God's given. How can you stop from being like Nebuchadnezzar, do you think? Well, before you post, you, you sort of ask yourself, is this building others up or not? Is is God glorified, honoured by this post? It's a good question to ask before you post. What do you have that you didn't receive? Three times we're told in the story, the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to whoever he pleases. God gave Nebuchadnezzar the empire he ruled over. And he was supposed to rule it under God. And God gave you everything that you have, your life, your gifts, your resources, to use for his glory. It's all a gift. How can we at all boast about anything that we have? That's life in Babylon. Secular humanism, formed by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. But God isn't finished with Nebuchadnezzar. He's resisted the testimony of God's people. He's resisted the word through Through Daniel, he's resisted the miracle of the fiery furnace. And so now God uses tragedy, doesn't he, to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Notice God tells him beforehand what will happen. God's gracious that way. In fact, that's what the Bible is, isn't it? God telling us beforehand what will happen. He warns him in a dream. Look at verse 5, Nebuchadnezzar says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And he goes on to tell what he sees in a dream. He sees this huge tree that reaches to the sky and is visible to the whole world. And then he sees a messenger from God, coming from God, who is commanded to cut down the tree, leaving only a stump and roots. And he's told that the person represented by that tree loses his sanity until he recognises that the most high rules. Now things are really hotting up for this man, Nebuchadnezzar, aren't they? God is getting really personal with him and God is going to teach him what he really needs to learn. Perhaps you remember time in your life or times in your life when you knew that God was really doing business with you, perhaps through some really surprising or difficult event or something someone said or a Bible verse you read or heard and it really challenged your life and you knew that God was speaking to you and he suddenly became real. That's good, there's always hope in that because God wants you to know him. Notice there's hope here for Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to be cut down, but there's a stump that remains. And again, Nebuchadnezzar at this point doesn't really want to know. Despite Daniel telling him what the dream means, 12 months later he's still resisting God and glorying in his own achievements. You know, it just shows you how resistant the proud heart is to God. And so God acts and brings about what he says, Uh, And the madness uh, that Nebuchadnezzar suffers comes upon him. Listen to Daniel speaking to him, or it's actually the messenger speaking to him in verse 31, but these are also Daniel's words. This is what is decreed for you, king Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by Uh, for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Now, we're not really sure how long Nebuchadnezzar suffered this psychotic breakdown. It could have been seven weeks or it could have been seven months or seven years. But the great King Nebuchadnezzar suffered a major breakdown and that turns him into sort of a a wild animal. Revelation chapter 3 tells us, That Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Well, Jesus stood, who stood in that fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stood at the door of this man's heart and knocked and knocked and knocked. How did he knock at his heart? Well, through the witness of Daniel and his friends, through God's word to him in a dream, through the miracle of the fiery furnace. Jesus stood and knocked and knocked at this man's door. Louder and louder and louder. And Now he takes the door off its hinges, doesn't he? Takes away Nebuchadnezzar's sanity in order to bring him to his senses. Until he acknowledges God. Look at verse 25. Daniel says to him, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. Francis Schaeffer commenting on Psalm 8 said, Man is made a little lower than angels and a little higher than the beasts. If he will not look up, he will go down. That's a message for today, isn't it? If we will not look up, we will go down. That's what's happening in the Nebuchadnezzar. That's what's happening for many in our culture today. If you really think that you, and not God, is the centre of the universe you're out of your mind. And the consequences will be devastating for you and for those around you. We live in a permissive culture formed by a love of self, even to the contempt of God. And Paul describes that that result of that sort of culture in Romans 1. When people refuse to acknowledge God, what happens? God gives them over to madness, to living depraved lifestyles. And C.S. Lewis once said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Every difficulty, every hardship, every trial reminds us that we're not in control of very much. You're not in control of the, 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 the time you come into this world or the time you leave this world. And many events in between. But there is a God who rules the world. And he loves you. And he wants you to know him. But the chapter tells us that this isn't the end of the story. This is the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, remember? And there's a stunning turnaround in this man's life. You know, Nebuchadnezzar sort of comes to his senses and he lifts his eyes and he sees the reality The living God, the most high rules. Look at verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. He looks up and my sanity is restored. Then I praised the most high. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Humbled by God, Nebuchadnezzar finally recognizes the might and majesty of God and proclaims his universal sovereignty and bows to his eternal authority. That's the main point of the whole chapter. God rules over everything. See, we compare ourselves to one another, and we talk about great people in history, and we look up to them, and we compare them. But we need to understand that above all these comparatives, there is a superlative. Above all the high and mighty ones in our world, there is the most high. And he rules over the affairs of men and nations. And Jesus makes that same point, doesn't he? The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, wants to interview him and uh, Jesus won't have a bar of it. He refuses to answer Pontius Pilate's question. Pilate says to him, don't you realise that I have the power to take away your life and crucify you? And Jesus says, you'd have no power over me if it wasn't given to you by God. The most high rules. That's the message for the persecuted people of God. See, Daniel is a prophet, isn't he, uh, to the people of Israel, and they've been conquered, they've been taken into exile, they're being oppressed by Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king at the time, and the message of God through Daniel to his persecuted, exiled people is simply this, your God reigns, I'm still in control. We've seen it over and over again in history, in the downfalls of kings and presidents, Idi Amin, Nixon, the Tsars, Saddam Hussein, the most high rules over the kingdoms of men and gives them to whoever he wishes. And God's people needs to he- need to hear that. We need to hear that. We may feel sort of increasingly marginalised here in this country, in secular Australia, but Jesus says to his people, fear not, for the Father has pl- been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's the message we need to hear. God rules and he's building his kingdom on earth. Everyone needs to hear that message. People like Nebuchadnezzar need to hear it. People who regard themselves as self-made need to hear it. People who are building their own little empires need to hear it. People need to hear our testimony too. That God rules over the affairs of this world and he deserves our praise. Look at verse 37. It's an extraordinary verse, isn't it? Have a look at that. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. That's an extraordinary statement from this proud man. God has invaded his life and given him a song to sing and a story to tell. And from this moment on, Nebuchadnezzar, I think, although this is disputed a bit, will live as a subject of the true king, praising his greatness and ruling under his authority. At last, this great king is in the place every man and woman should be. What does the Westminster Confession say? The question is, what is the chief end of man? What's life all about? What's the point of it all? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And notice what happened to Nebuchadnezzar verse 36. His throne is restored, his advisors sought him out, he became even greater than before. And Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other things will be given to you as well. In other words, make that your priority, make the kingdom your priority, and find out what it means to be right with God, and everything else in your life will fall into place. Not that it'll always be easy, not that you won't have problems, but it'll be in place. What a wonderful testimony. God rules the affairs of men. A proud man is brought down and humbled. A madman is restored. A broken man is mended. And it's sovereign grace, isn't it? Wonderful sovereign grace. Look at verse 17 again. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he pleases and sets over them Notice this, the lowliest of people. And when God sent his son into the world, he was born in humility, born into poverty. And the angels, the holy ones, declared, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And Jesus walked this earth in humility. And though being very nature God, made himself nothing. Nothing. Humbled himself even to death on a cross. And then God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And so the angels declare in Revelations 11, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And because of his humbling, his humiliation on that cross, you and I can be lifted up. And even more amazing, we will rule in his kingdom. And it's all of sovereign grace. It's amazing grace. Well, let me finish with this question. Can you put your name to verse 37? Look again. Now I, Brian, David, Susan, Mary, Rebecca, Roger, Scott, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right And all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Is that your testimony? There are two cities formed by two loves. The earthly city is formed by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. And the heavenly city is formed by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. Where do you live? What city do you belong to? When the curtain comes down on your life, when the final act is done, Where are you going to find yourself? In verse 29, Nebuchadnezzar is looking down, surveying all his achievements. Isn't this the great Babylon I built? It's the love of self to the contempt of God. But in 34, he says, I raised my eyes towards heaven and praised the most high. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. That's the love of God, even to the contempt of self. Does that happen to you? Can you testify to God's grace like that? Does your life give glory to the living God who rules the world and whose kingdom will endure beyond all our petty little schemes and empires and kingdoms and whatever we like to build? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you, to forgive us for our pride and self centeredness for thinking that what we have we've somehow earned or deserved, for not acknowledging that all we have is actually a gift from you. Thank you for Jesus who went to that cross to pay the penalty for our pride and selfishness and sin. And Father, fill us with your spirit that we might live humbly before you Glorifying you in everything and enjoying you for who you are, our Saviour, our Lord, our King. And Father, this morning we pray for those who are here who don't have a saving faith, who are still sort of glorying in themselves rather than you. We ask, Lord, that you'd show them the truth about Jesus and his rule. Speak to them through your word and spirit. Change their hearts to to glory in the one who died and rose for them. And we pray it all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.